My name is Dario Hasenstab, Ivy Degree in International Affairs, and I'm here with Balder Hagritz, a former university professor of mine, as well as an IR consultant. And together, we're bursting the Western bubble. Today, we will analyze how to understand the importance of understanding our own behavior rather than falling into the conspiracy theory thinking through the lens of the Western bubble. Because while Western societies have many strengths and significant weaknesses, in order to analyze these, we use the concept of the Western bubble. If you would like to know more about this concept, how this podcast started, or who we are, make sure to listen to our introduction episode. Hi, Balder. Why are we speaking about this topic today? Why are we speaking about this very long title that we definitely have to boil down in order to put it out there on the internet? Hi, Dario. Well, yes, the issue here is that we really want to talk about how in the Western bubble people externalize problems and conspiracy theories are sort of an extreme version of that they are ways in which we create an image of the world in which there are evil people out there who are manipulating our environment and doing everything to uh, make our lives difficult and we are the shining the knights in shiny armor the good guys trying to make the world a better place. And the, 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 the dynamic that is going on here is that we tend to humanize ourselves because we've got a complex picture of ourselves, whereas we tend to oversimplify the rest of the world, the outside world. And that dynamic is what we really want to analyze with conspiracy theories being at the extreme of that. And what are the facts? A conspiracy theory is a belief or explanation that suggests that the events or situations are the result of a secret, often sinister and coordinated group or organization working in the shadows to achieve a specific goal. Conspiracy theories often involve accusations of deceit or cover-up by those in positions of power and they tend to be based on limited or dubious evidence. Examples of conspiracy theories include claims that the moon landing was fake, that the 9-11 attacks were an inside jobs, that vaccines are part of a nefarious plot to control the population, or that a shadowy group of elites um, control the world's financial and political systems. Reasons as to why people follow conspiracy theories range from distrust of authorities, emotional reasoning and the need for social identity, all the way to confirmation bias and a need for easy explanations in an increasingly complicated world. Related to this are a variety of concepts we will be dealing with, starting with the attribution bias. In psychology, attribution bias is a cognitive bias that refers to the systematic errors made when people evaluate or try to find reasons for their own or others' behavior. The fundamental attribution error, a cognitive bias that describes our tendency to explain other people's behavior based on internal and dispositional factors, such as their personality or character traits, while ignoring the impact of situational factors such as the environment, context, or external pressures. In-group favoritism is a pattern of favoring members of one's in-group over out-group members. This can be expressed in evaluation of others, in allocation of resources, and in many other ways. Psychological projection is a defense mechanism people subconsciously employ in order to cope with difficult feelings or emotions. Psychological projection involves projecting undesirable feelings or emotions onto someone else rather than admitting or dealing with the unwanted feelings. What is the bubble? Um, so obviously let's get this episode off to a good start. Um, I During the research of this episode I found out that uh, 
In 2014, at least 50% of Americans believed in at least one conspiracy theory. Balder, which conspiracy theory do you believe in? I should obviously point out first that I'm not American. And as a proud European, I would hope that these numbers are slightly lower uh, in Europe. But the question here first has to be, what do we mean by conspiracy theory? Uh, how do you define conspiracy theory? Because one person's conspiracy theory is another person's tentative hypothesis, right? Uh, one very clear example that, that's always been of interest to me is this continuous debate um, during the COVID years about where does COVID actually come from? To me, it's not a particularly interesting question. I mean, I'm happy to assume that it came from the animal market, but if it turns out that it came from a lab, a Chinese lab, then it doesn't really change my worldview. Uh, it's just embarrassing for the Chinese. But there are a lot of people who make a big deal out of that. They, no, 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 it's a Chinese lab that, that caused COVID to happen. Now, is that people who argue that, is the, are they conspiracy theorists because they have insufficient evidence and therefore they just make claims that seem to correspond to their worldview, like the Chinese are somehow responsible for everything? Or is it just conjecture? Is it just hypothesizing? So the, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, what, what kind of um, concept are we actually talking about here? Do I believe in any conspiracy theories? I don't think so. I You would have to point out anything uh, about me that we've spoken about in the past few years, Dario. But I do not believe that I have any conspiracy beliefs. Um, I have been accused of conspiracy beliefs because of certain things I've said, but I would reject those claims. Well, I believe that Australia doesn't exist and it's just a bunch of actors, which is a very popular conspiracy theory out there. Um, it's part of flat earth uh, thinking and people don't believe that Australia exists. And the only reason why I choose to believe it is because I think it's incredibly funny. And obviously I'm not serious about this, especially given that we have listeners from Australia. Um, I mean, we as the listeners know, we, we see the data and we have listeners from Australia. So I don't believe that they are fake. Um, it's, it's actually interesting, right? Because what you, how do you determine your, what you call knowledge? So we can, we can say we know that Australia exists, but it is actually based on a general understanding of what is acceptable as a, as a belief system. Uh, in, in, in that sense, when I say I don't believe in any conspiracy theories, um, yeah, obviously not, because I don't believe that whatever I know to be true is a conspiracy. Uh, you know, so it's sort of a self-reinforcing uh, mechanism in that sense. Nobody calls themselves a conspiracy theorist, at least not if they're serious, even though they might still believe in some conspiracies. Well, I've never been to Australia and I've never seen it. So what does that say? Well, that's what I mean. So, I, 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 And even if you'd seen it, how do you know that that was actually real, that you actually flew to Australia, uh, maybe you flew to New, New Zealand or, you know, it's... Um, but so obviously this points at a larger image and a larger picture that we are living in a world where, and I myself am guilty of this, I believe that everyone else is crazy and I'm the only one who rationally looks at this world. Um, and that conspiracy theories are obviously only a an extreme version of this. Um, so, but what does this say about the Western bubble? Um, because that's ultimately the category we're in. What's the bubble here? Is it just a bunch of individuals that now have the same type of thinking that turns into this bubble? Or what's the bubble thinking here? 
at the most important level, uh, it's not so much the extreme conspiracies that we're interested in, but the, the main bubble thinking is that we tend to have a sophisticated, complex image of ourselves and our direct surroundings because we interact with it every day. We understand ourselves to be complex human beings. We generally think of ourselves as good human beings who surely might they might make mistakes, something might go wrong, but generally our motives are pure in our own minds. But the further away we go from our own direct environment, from our own family, friends, city, the more abstract and black and white our perspective on the world becomes and the more we tend to attribute evil motives to things that go wrong in the world. So um, there is an um, explosion in our house because um, I left the gas open. Then I just know that it is me being silly and I wish I hadn't done that, but there was nothing else going on. I hear about an explosion in... Washington or in Tokyo and I believe oh those must be some kind of terrorists waiting about to you know to strike um, the further it goes away from my own reality the more it becomes a black and white picture and as a result when we talk about our own behavior on the world stage we attribute good qualities to ourselves and we look at the full picture whereas when we look at the behavior of a country such as Russia or a country such as China we have a very black and white image of them and we believe that they are out to get us. They are part of a conspiracy to threaten our free and liberal lifestyle. Which is very much a mix of what I read out on the fact sheet of, on the one hand, the attribution bias and on the other hand, the fundamental attribution error, um, where... As soon as I make a mistake, uh, you know, the, the example you used, leaving on the, the gas stove, ah, it was a silly mistake. I was in a rush. Uh, someone called and it was an emergency. So I, there was all, there's all these complex factors that are part of this. There's uh, so many reasons why we went to, uh, to Iraq and invaded Iraq in 2003. There's so many complex reasons. We can't even begin to understand it. But if someone else leaves on the gas stove, they're not really paying attention and they're evil for doing so. And the same then applies to foreign policy. Is Russia invading Ukraine? They are evil people, um, all of them imperialists out to get the world and they want to form a new Soviet Union. We encounter this kind of behavior all the time, right? The, you see a, a friend um, shouting at someone else um, then straight away because you know it's your friend and you know their full human condition and complexity you assume that your friend must have good reason or or at least you worry about your friend you think oh what's wrong how can i help but you see a stranger shouting at someone else then that stranger is an aggressive violent thug and you call the police because there is someone being aggressive and about to um, uh, to attack a poor innocent person, right? So this 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 kind of be pattern of us, the moment it is about a world that we are not directly connected to and that we have oversimplified in our own psychology, that is the moment that we start believing in evil motives, in in also calculated motives. And that eventually leads to the extreme of conspiracy theories. But even before you get to conspiracy theories, you can clearly see the damage that's being done. For example, in the way that we, as a Western society, think about Russia and Putin, or the way we think about China, or the way we think about Iran. 
uh, we've got a very simplistic image of them and whenever some news comes out of them we use that image to to project evil motives onto them that first example of the French shouting in the street was a very good example of in-group favoritism and if you then up yeah you know if you try transfer all of these individual errors that we have because they're simply heuristics they're shortcuts our brain takes um, if you then project this onto the foreign policy level I think this is a, a very good explanation of the of, of the Western bubble um why do you think? Or, or first of all, do you think that this is more extreme in the West than in other um, cultures, continents, um, groups? And if so, why? I I would argue for two reasons. A tentative answer would be yes. Um, the the first is that Western culture, by almost by nature, by definition, is very liberal, individual oriented. It's about the individual, capitalism, democracy. Um, you know, individual freedoms. If I see myself as a single entity walking around in, a, in, in an evil world, in a dark world around me, and I don't see myself as connected to a community, uh, you know, there are lots of societies that are more communal than we are, then it becomes easier for me to only give myself credit for when something goes wrong and to feel that the rest of the world is out to get me, right? Capitalism in itself is a competitive mechanism, which has a lot of positive qualities, by the way, but it is a competitive mechanism, which means that I see myself as continuously competing with others rather than working together with others, which means that I can simplify others. I can see the others as the outsider. I am the insider. Maybe my friends are the insider. My family are insiders, but everyone else is somehow a threat to my economic well-being. That is something that is particularly strong in Western culture because of this uh, individualist society we live in. See, and based on anecdotal and observational evidence, uh, some of the listeners know that I, I lived in Korea for two years. It's a, it's a lot more of a collectivist society, culture. And that type of thinking is not necessarily as welcome. And I also think that that's the reason why you know, they're, they're less prone to falling into that trap because there's not so much focus on individualism, meaning there's not so much space for this to happen. And e e even within Western society, you see those differences. Um, a country such as uh, the United States, which is probably the most individualistic and most competitive, if you like, is much more prone to conspiracy thinking than many European countries, for example. And, and this kind of pattern is clear to observe. Um, I haven't seen hard data on the connection because that's very difficult to test on, on the connection between you know, liberal democracy and conspiracy thinking, but it would make sense uh, for this to be the case, especially given the second reason. So the first reason was uh, an overly overemphasis on individualism versus communal thinking. The second reason um, is that the West has built up this enormous bubble of internal arrogance, of sense of superiority. We are the good guys in history. We are the free and democratic ones. And therefore, everyone who is not like us must be inherently evil. Other societies typically don't have that mechanism, right? We reject others not based on simple nationality or um, cultural differences, but based on our understanding of the world in which we 
are the ones who figured out history. And everyone who doesn't seem to get that, everyone who isn't democratic, free or capitalist, is somehow backwards. And that reinforces this idea, this pro projection of black and white, right? When we do things, it's complex, it's easy to... Uh, uh, to have a long conversation about all the, the reasons why something happened. But when the outsiders do it, those who are not like us, then it is a sign of evil authoritarianism or of evil uh, plans that, are, that go against humanity because we are the shield bearers for humanity and they are not. If we then move on to the more extreme versions of this, um, so it's not only that Russia and China are evil because they are simply evil but now we move on to conspiracy theories where there's an evil overlord out to get us i mean the, the question is what, what what happens here and most importantly how does this add to the bubble it it is if you look at conspiracy theories in the, the extreme version um it is a very, very extreme example of how we psychologically are willing to forgive all kinds of problems in our analysis in order to confirm our comfortable perspective on the world. And comfortable, I mean, it is very comfortable to believe that there are overlords out there. It's very comfortable to think that there's a small group of people who somehow manipulate world affairs in ways that we can't even imagine and that somehow calls everything that is wrong with this world. If you, if you do not believe that, if you do not believe that the world is run by a small group of elitist, rich or politically powerful uh, individuals or aliens or lizard men, as there are also conspiracies uh, in that direction, then you have to accept that we are part of a very complex mechanism in which we all have our own responsibility and that is uncomfortable to take your own responsibility it's much easier to project the problems onto a small group of evil people out there and um, if you then look at some of the conspiracies that are out there think about how many hoops your your brain has to go through in order to justify that analysis um faking the moon landing Think about the thousands and thousands of people that have to be in on this conspiracy and that no, no hard evidence ever came out uh, to the contrary, right? We've got a lot of hard evidence that the moon landing was real. There's no serious evidence against the moon landing. Nothing, only a little bit of speculation here and there. So for you to actually believe that the moon landing was faked means that you shut down a lot of your rational faculties in order to confirm your inherent bias that there is this group of people who are able to manipulate us to extreme extents because faking the moon landing is an extreme type of manipulation. Um, the same can be applied to many other such things, right? So it is, an, it is fascinating to observe how we in our non-rational human condition, our, our brain is very far from rational, typically, allow ourselves to fall into this emotional trap of um, coming up with conclusions that feel good because it takes away responsibility from ourselves and it puts responsibility on the anonymous other. Which is psychological projection. 
Exactly. Um, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a human defense mechanism. Uh, so, yeah. as always, this is, I think, what is important to understand with all the episodes is that this is usually not done out of evil intention. Is that nobody sits at home thinking, ah, I'm, I, I just lost my job um, because I don't know, I was corrupt. Um, how can I blame this on the Chinese so that I look good in front of my friends? It's there's not an active thought process that anyone has like this, but that we all fall victim to these type of uh, heuristics and that this is a very human thing to do. But, and it just leads to terrible, terrible uh, damages. I mean, in our private lives, but most importantly for the Western bubble. And can you explain to our listeners, what is the problem? So let's be more specific. Um, so what's the problem with all of this? There are quite a few problems. Uh, it's I would argue that it's already a problem that it biases, it corrupts our ability to understand the world around us as a general observation. That is bad. We need to be able to, as clearly as possible, if you like, as reasonably, as rationally as possible, be able to understand the world around us if we want to get anywhere. But more specifically within the Western bubble, it leads to a number of important issues. The first and most important one, I would argue, is that it externalizes the problems um, rather than seeing ourselves as part of the problem. So whenever uh, something happens, we project that onto the outsider, onto the people who do not belong to our bubble, and we aggressively go after those people instead of actually understanding the world to be complex their motivations are complex their motivations are not as evil as we attribute to them and our own behavior is not as pure as we would like to think so rather than understanding the problem as a complex one where the probably the most productive approach is to look at our own behavior and try to improve our own um, impact on the world the example I always go back to is how the West hates talking about how NATO may have been part of the problem relating to Russia and Ukraine. But we hate doing that because, no, no, but that takes responsibility away from Putin. So as a result, we ignore the thing that we can influence, our own NATO behavior, and we go after the Russians as if they are just 140 million evil individuals about to kill us all. And therefore, we no longer are able to actually look for solutions and we behave badly towards that outsider. Yeah, this, especially this NATO discussion. Um, I mean, at, at countless events that I've attended in the past past months uh, about this, as soon as that comes up, that argument is, is always made, oh, this takes responsibility away from Putin. I mean, but what's the problem with doing it the way we've done it in this podcast, saying that it was absolutely his decision to do so? I mean, ultimately, he's the one who says yes or no. But that doesn't that doesn't uh, mean that there aren't factors from the West that play into his decision. That doesn't put any any blame on the West in that way. Um, but it should make the West ask some very critical questions about their own behavior in the past. And in many ways, that is very empowering, right? To be able to say, look, I can't control Vladimir Putin unless, you know, I don't know, I, I, I'm the president of the United States and I tell some snipers to kill Putin. Beyond that, we cannot do anything about Putin. He is there. It is what it is. But it, we can change our own behavior to make the world a better place. We can work on ourselves and we can analyze our own mistakes. And, and that should be a very empowering thing. Instead, it 
is uncomfortable for too many people because it means that they have to critically reflect on their own past mistakes, on their own past behavior. And we typically don't really like doing that. It's much easier to think we're the good guys. NATO may have made one or two mistakes, but we don't really care because NATO is a, is a machine for good. The Russians are just wrong morally and practically wrong in everything that they do. Therefore, we're just going to write article after article about that rather than ourselves. See, this reminds me a lot of the episode we recorded on historical awareness and about how Germany has dealt with its past um, with regards to Nazi Germany um, and how this is liberating um, and how this is actually beneficial, you know, that it does give you diplomatic clout, it gives you respect in the world, you speak from a from a perspective of we have dealt with our past. Obviously, as a, I have to give the usual German disclaimer here, we're only speaking about 13 years here, the rest of the history uh, we're still working on, but it's a it's a step that does give you a lot of respect in in the world um and a lot of maybe even admiration that i think people are missing out on once to, if they, if they do not do this and not just admiration because you're absolutely right but it's more than that in the case of germany it is also a better understanding of the country itself and therefore more productive behavior even from a self-interested perspective german foreign policy has made many mistakes as every country's foreign policy um, makes mistakes, but German foreign policy overall has been much more productive than UK or French foreign policy from a German perspective, from a German taxpayer's perspective. So it's even in your own interest to critically analyze yourself and look at the whole complexity of the world. But instead, um, most people, most states, most groups don't like doing that very much. And, and that's results then in this very damaging externalization of where the problem lies. It in many ways takes, it clips your own wings. It takes any power away from yourself. Like, hey, conspiracy theory is the, is the extreme version of this, right? Where you say, hey, the problem is them, not me. I'm the good guy. They're the bad guys. I don't know much about them, but I know that they're bad. Therefore, there's nothing I can really do. I'm going to try to expose them. I'm going to try to expose Putin for being evil or Xi Jinping for being evil. But I am helpless in this situation. So you clip your own wings. You take power away from yourself only so that you can look in the mirror and feel good about yourself and sort of project all your anger and frustration onto others that you don't know much about. So let's apply this to the real world um, and to two examples that we have talked about uh, a lot, but that we will not get tired of talking about. Um, and I think it's examples that most listeners um, care about as well, and that's income inequality and the environment. So how does all of this play into income inequality? These, these two actually together are the perfect example of how this actually works. So a lot of people worry about income inequality, they write about it, they discuss it, they debate it, and they even vote accordingly very often, but they completely disconnect it from their own behavior and their own lives. They externalize the problem. There's income inequality. There's poor people out there. They're over there. That is unrelated to my own life. Yet that own life is one where people live in luxury very often. Not everyone that listens to our podcast, of course, but there are, I'm sure, a lot of listeners who live in luxury. The moment you live in luxury, any type of luxury, um, expensive laptops, expensive cars, expensive houses, or just lots of holidays, 
then you are income inequality by definition. It's not so much how much money you received for your work, it is how you spend it. And if you spend it on these items that you don't really need, but make your life a little bit more comfortable, then you are the problem. Then you are income inequality. You have a driver, you have a nanny, you are income inequality by definition. You could also choose not to have those luxurious things and do something else with that money. Give it away or spend it on something productively that actually helps the society. And yet, in our externalization, we say, no, 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 I, I worked hard for my, uh, for my luxury, it's fine, but I do care about the rest of the world. It's just an abstract problem that is out there and I'm going to see if I can help one or two poor people you know, deal with this, this difficult circumstance, but um, that is not related to my own daily behavior. It is absolutely related to your own daily behavior. It is your own daily behavior that is income inequality. And this relates to the problems with the environment as well. Is by buying the newest iPhone each year or, you know, a new laptop every three years. I mean, it's not only that this is furthering uh, income inequality because you're spending your money on luxuries that you don't need in that moment simply because it's the newest but it's also i mean every new iphone every new laptop has its carbon footprint and adds to that and you could spend your money on i don't know some some investment with regards to clean energy which would be more productive you wouldn't have as well you would have spent your money on something that would work well and with this you didn't externalize your problem you said well i'm responsible for this but i'm making plenty of money so the extra money that i have i'm not going to spend on my third vacation this year uh two vacations are perfectly fine and i'm going to spend it on i know a project that uh, finances solar panels for a rose farm in kenya exactly that's that's exactly it or even one vacation is perfectly fine or you know what newsflash is also fine one year not to go on holidays uh the 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 idea that or go on holidays in your local park, you know, <laughs> just read a book in your own park and have fun there. The issue is that we are so accustomed in in the West that uh, to justify luxury just for the sake of it. But every time that you go on a holiday somewhere, let, 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 let's say safari. I don't know. I know that not everyone goes on safari every year, fortunately, but uh, you, you spent uh, 5,000 euros or 10,000 euros on a safari trip for you and your family. You're basically damaging the planet by doing that more than any, you know, contribution to green taxation or so could, could compensate for. Uh, you are also making the choice to spend that five or 10,000 euros on your own tiny little bit of extra luxury, whereas that five or 10,000 euros could radically change the lives of billions of people in the world go to any random family living under the poverty line give them 10,000 euros and their life will never be the same again you choose to ignore that you choose to stay in your own bubble spend your own money to have the tiny little bit of extra pleasure in your life and you can only do that by basically disconnecting your own lifestyle your own behavior from the issues you claim you care about, from the complexity of the world, because you don't see yourself as one cock in a complex mechanism. The issue there is, of course, then if that is your worldview, who actually does cause income inequality? If it's not you, despite your luxurious behavior, where does income inequality come from? Well, the only way to then 
sort of answer that question in your mind is to project it onto some evil conspiracy somewhere. Some people are just doing horrible things that create income inequality. That's the only way to justify it if you don't take your own responsibility here. It's the fault of Bill Gates and Elon Musk and all the other ones. Yeah, and and the governments who who are corrupt and 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 uh, uh, you know NGOs that they don't do their work properly and all those people that you are not related to because surely it is not your own daily behavior that helps. So these two topics are, you know, very much within the center of community. Of conversations um, when it comes to public discourse but what's the damage of conspiracy theories i mean and let, let, let's talk i mean what's the damage of people believing that the moon landing was fake uh, in theory they're not hurting anyone are they no in itself if it's only a few crackpots uh, who uh, you know throw this out there it doesn't really matter much but the problem of course is that it creates an environment of distrust. It creates an environment where we no longer have a basis, a foundation of knowing what's real and what isn't. And we create an environment in which we reduce our own sense of responsibility because none of it matters. If, if it is possible for the US government to fake the moon landing, nothing that we do matters really, right? And, and it all becomes us making becoming victims of something out there, something that we can't really pinpoint, the, the, the people in dark suits somewhere in a high tower who decide on the fate of the world. So if it's one or two people who say crazy things about flat earth or about the moon landing, it doesn't really matter. But if you look at the whole of range of conspiracy theories that are out there, the extreme versions of externalizing these problems, um, it basically creates an environment in which we no longer um, are connected to our surroundings, we feel threatened by our surroundings, and we uh, cannot take responsibility for our surroundings. And another dimension of this um, that we have talked about um, off the podcast only, and that's the reason why we wanted to record it, uh, an episode on conspiracy theories, is yes, there are people who believe in conspiracy theories, and it's very easy to disregard them as crackpots. Uh, maybe we should give some context to the listeners. Uh, the reason why I use that word is because we looked at a uh, at a study right before where they asked respondents, um, would you describe most conspiracy theorists as crackpots? And 53% of Germans said yes, uh, while only 18% of French uh, said the same. Um, However, when we when we start thinking like this, oh, conspiracy theories are just crackpots, it becomes too easy to disregard people who think critically. Or because, I mean, I'm sure most conspiracy theorists will say, oh, I'm a very critical thinker. And then they took one or one or two wrong exits. But it also nurtures a feeling within society that anyone who basically says something critical about something that maybe goes against um, the mainstream, is that, oh, they are conspiracy theorists. And I think we saw this a lot during COVID. I remember um, very vividly, especially when talking about vaccines, um, when I never had a, I, well, I, I never really got involved in these conversations because I believe it's a very personal decision. But there was, the way it was communicated is that there's no risk attached to it at all. Instead of saying there's a point something chance of, of side effects happening. That is, of course, as, as, as with any vaccine, that type of 
that type of conversation in that climate in particular, where it wasn't very welcome because you had this climate of, no, everyone needs to take the vaccine. And then people who had serious concerns um, for whatever reasons were then kind of brushed aside as conspiracy theorists. And this now, in turn, where now there's more and more reports coming up about low numbers of people with side effects, now the people who once criticized uh you know, the mainstream for limiting that discussion. They feel very empowered by this and saying, nobody was talking about it and now we see it. I was right, you know, and, and kind of further creating that divide between oh, what is the mainstream and everyone else is just a conspiracy theorist, you know, anyone who, you're just crazy, stop talking. Yeah, so po populist politicians, specifically on the right, um, have then used those, those scientifically, statistically very small numbers to, to, to exactly make the points that they wanted to make, right? So it has actually been an erosion of trust in society. If they had just simply said, look, any medicine that goes out into the, to the world is likely to have some side effects. Um, that is that is just part of medicine. Overall, it's a good thing to for you to take these vaccines. The statistical chance of them affecting you are relatively small. That would have been a very reasonable thing to do. And by the way, because I differ a little bit with about what you said about it's a very personal choice in the sense that it is a personal choice. I would very critically look at anyone who chooses not to take a vaccine because they don't just endanger themselves, but they endanger others. But I want to have that conversation based on respect, on saying I'm not enforcing it on you, I'm not imposing it, it's your body, you make your own choice, but I will want to critically look at why you're making this choice. However, with that approach around COVID, these people felt no longer respected and you could no longer have a serious critical conversation with them. Because I wanted to shout at them, please take the medicine, please take the vaccine. But the moment that you do that, you become part of this black or white dynamic once again. And, and that, that is very dangerous. I think the key word you said was respect, is that you need to be able to have these conversations um, based on an understanding of respect, where you can say both, both things. You can say um, you're falling victim to the fundamental attribution error. There's a lot of in-group thinking and pro uh, psychological projection. So please be careful with this. Saying this, not getting attacked, while at the same time also respecting the perspective of someone who feels very concerned about the potential side effects uh, of a vaccine um, and then simply feels excluded from from the discourse in society, which, I mean, I think when we're talking about the damages here, I think that's a big damage. Absolutely. Or, or has religious re reasons to do so. And, and, and I might not understand those religious re reasons, but at the very minimum, I want to be able to have a conversation with them about it without this black and white thinking, oh, if you don't take a vaccine, you're an evil monster or you're a complete idiot or you're a crackpot. And what now? So I think that's already one of the first things we can say about the future is please have these conversations uh, with respect. But let's take it back to the Western bubble overall. So what can we say about all these processes going on, the implications this has for foreign policy, the implications this has internally with regards to the discourse we're having and, uh, and conspiracy theories. What's the future here for the Western bubble? Well, what's interesting is that, that that vaccine crackpot can be equated to Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping as well. So in, in many ways, from this perspective, from this psychological process, our behavior towards vaccine deniers or Trump supporters or anyone like that is very similar to our behavior uh, 
with respect to our behavior to Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping, because we are increasingly feeling threatened by them in the world. We, the West, are on a decline. We're not doing particularly well. Histor you know, historically, we've had the past 300 years covered, but in the 21st century, the world looks tougher for us, for the West. And as a result, we are doubling down on our black or white narrative towards authoritarian regimes. Once someone feels threatened, you no longer interact with your threats constructively. You, you sort of crawl back behind your wall. You crawl back inside of your shield. Uh, you try to pretend that you're just an innocent victim of a evil world that is out there. And that's exactly what you're seeing within the West at the moment, that the West is no longer critically looking at itself, constructively engaging with very complex dynamics. The rise of China, the rise of Russia are very complex issues that require serious conversation, yet we don't seem to be able to do that because we are afraid, we fear the world. And the way to, to break through that is to say, okay, look, what, what is it actually that um, we can do to, to shape the world in our own image, where we have power over our lives? What can we do to, to change the dynamics that we're concerned about? What can we do about um, our concerns with respect to authoritarianism? The, the answer is not fighting them. The answer is not acting as if they're some kind of evil conspiracy that's out there. The, the answer is we can connect with them and we can see if we can influence them positively, productively. Yeah, I, I can recommend that as well. Um, I mean, this, this happened a few weeks ago in Germany. Some of our listeners may have heard this in the news where there were 30 or 40 people who tried to overthrow the government because they didn't believe that Germany was a legitimate state. It would have been dealt very, with very differently. People wouldn't have taken it seriously at all. But now it responds. That 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 weird little moment responds to a lot of the fears and anxieties that Germans have. So even if they joke about it, they still kind of know that there's a political problem underlying society. And 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 then this is uh, one of those moments that 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 gets triggered, right? So the way to deal with this is to look at what's good about your society. Stop all the time worrying about all the weaknesses, but say, what is it that we've established that is productive, that's constructive, and how can we build on that to face the challenges we face, to, to face the political challenges, to face the uh, environmental or economic challenges that we have? What is it that makes our society strong? And how can we expand on that? And how can we therefore... Um, at least minimize or decrease or even eradicate the weaknesses in our society by building on what we have rather than being fearful of ourselves. In many ways, conspiracy thinking and externalizing problems is a way to is, is a way to hide in your own little protected bubble, hoping, you know, closing your ears and hoping that everything will be all right while you shout la 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 la, I can't hear anything that is only going to exacerbate the problem. If you say, look, these are the things that we are proud of. These are the things that are good about our society. Let's build on that. And let's connect with a very complex environment in which we operate. Let's look at it for all its complexity and not simplify into black and white. That would be the way forward. This seems like a great moment to end today's conversation on the importance of understanding our own behavior 
rather than falling into conspiracy theory thinking. If you have any questions, comments, or regards, make sure to send us an email to thewesternbubble at gmail.com, and we will try to incorporate them in our following episodes. Thank you very much to the listeners for joining us today. Make sure to join us again next week when we burst the Western bubble. That is it from my side. Boulder, which closing quote did you pick for us today? I have a quote by a mildly controversial humanitarian, Albert Schweitzer. Most people will have heard of him, um, but a very interesting life story. And he said, Man must cease attributing his problems to his environment and learn again to exercise his will, his personal responsibility in the realm of faith and morals. Thank you.